This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The Art Curious Podcast is sponsored by Anchor Light. For more information about their programs and residencies, please visit anchorlightraleigh.com. I don't know about you, but I learned an awful lot about art, opera, folk tales, and even history from one particular source while I was growing up. And it wasn't school. Or at least it wasn't always school. No, I learned about all of that cultural goodness from cartoons, especially Looney Tunes and shorts from Disney's acclaimed golden age of animation. I learned about Wagner from the cartoon where Elmer Fudd is chasing Bugs Bunny around, singing Kill the Wabbit. And I first learned of Rudyard Kipling through Disney's interpretation of his 1894 title, The Jungle Book. And I got my first glimpse of one of the most famous paintings in American history through a Donald Duck short titled Donald's Diary. It features Donald reminiscing about the development of his relationship with his lady love, Daisy Duck and involves a scene where Daisy introduces Donald to her parents. Her mother is seated in a blue-walled room, seen in profile, wearing a severe black gown and a white head covering, her head propped up on a box and a book plopped onto her lap. Here she is, Daisy Duck's mother, a figure that we probably had never seen before in Disney cartoons. And yet, we recognize her right away, because we understand the reference. She is not just Daisy's mother. She is... Whistler's mother. And she made Whistler a household name. Some people think that visual art is dry, boring, lifeless. But the stories behind those paintings, sculptures, drawings, and photographs are weirder, more outrageous, or more fun than you can imagine. In season 11, we are highlighting the lives and works of women who supported some of the world's favorite artists. Today, you know her face, but you might not know her name or much about her life. So meet Anna Whistler, the mother of American painter James Abbott McNeil Whistler. This is the Art Curious Podcast, exploring the unexpected, the slightly odd, and the strangely wonderful in art history. I am Jennifer Dassel. It feels like it's impossible to talk about James Abbott McNeil Whistler without talking about his mother, because his mother, or at least the portrait he made of her, is Whistler, is the icon representing what a Whistler painting is. Just like, whether fairly or not, we can't or we rarely do talk about Leonardo da Vinci without bringing up the Mona Lisa, who is kind of like a sister to Whistler's mother in terms of being overhyped and overfamiliar, and yet not understood enough. But now is our opportunity to change that by learning more about Whistler's stern-looking, black-berobed mother, a chance to transform her from a two-dimensional symbol into a three-dimensional person. Anna Matilda McNeil was born in September 1804 as one of six children of Charles Daniel McNeil, who was a Scottish physician, 
and Martha Kingsley McNeil, an American woman whose family had British loyalist ties during the American Revolution and who became active as slave traders in the late 18th century. Anna McNeil was born, like most of her siblings, in Wilmington, North Carolina, not too terribly far from where I am sitting now. And like most American girls of her age, she didn't get much in the way of a formal education, but she learned all those types of things that were typically seen as important in order to catch a suitable mate when she reached marriageable age. She learned about music, poetry, some history, cooking, all the things needed to be a good wife and a good manager of a bustling household. It turns out from an early age, Anna McNeil already had her eye on a special someone. Someone for whom she hoped she could become that good wife. And that person was George Washington Whistler, a friend of her brother William. According to the Dictionary of North Carolina Biography, Anna loved George Whistler, a West Point cadet, from the moment that she first met him. Four years older, he must have seemed so worldly to the young girl. But Anna didn't get the chance to marry him, or at least not right away. Instead, he married Mary Swift, who was a friend of Anna's, in 1819. And together, George and Mary had three young children in the seven years that they were married before Mary died in 1827. Before she passed, Mary called her husband to her on her deathbed and demanded that if he were to marry someone else, quote, it must be to Anna and no one else. And the widower George Whistler made good on his promise. He married the 27-year-old Anna McNeil in 1831. Fast forward a couple of years, and the Whistler family, George, Anna, and George's three children from his first marriage, were based in Lowell, Massachusetts, where George worked as a civil engineer, during which he produced the earliest designs for a steam locomotive that was built in all of New England. Anna was home with the children, and by 1834, she had given birth to her first child, James Abbott Whistler, born in July of that year. Anna Whistler would go on to give birth to five children, but only two of them, James and her second son, William, actually survived into adulthood. Because of these losses, and possibly because James was her firstborn biological child, Anna was particularly tender toward him, even during a time when parents were just about as stern as they were loving. James recalled that his devout Episcopalian mother disallowed toys at home and only provided the Bible as reading material. Still, she was a devoted mother, and historians often like to point to a particular quote in her journal that's now at the New York Public Library's manuscript collection that showcases gentleness as her primary parenting motivation. As she wrote, quote, Gentleness is a mild atmosphere. It enters into a child's soul like sunshine into the rosebud, slowly but surely expanding into beauty and vigor. Like many of the parents we've discussed on The Art Curious in the past, Anna Whistler encouraged her son in his interests beginning at a very early age. Once, while he was ill in bed as a child, she gave James a set of engravings by the British artist William Hogarth as a way to keep him entertained. And it did, with little James poring over the illustrations and studying keenly every nook and cranny of Hogarth's satirical scenes. But it was a big family move when James was eight years old that made the biggest impression. His father, George, had been courted by Russian emissaries as the go-to guy when it came to building railroads. 
and when they invited him to oversee the establishment of a rail line between Moscow and St. Petersburg, George was thrilled. But he knew that he'd have to get his family on board, or else he wouldn't go. So he let Anna make the choice. And she said, yes, yes, we're going to Russia. In general, St. Petersburg treated the Whistler family very well. They became immersed in upper-crust society, mingling with the Russian nobility, and George Whistler even claimed Tsar Nicholas I as one of his pals. George received a pretty penny for his work, nearly 400,000 in today's dollars, which meant that the family lived very well and that James was well-educated, too. Anna, who always encouraged her son's art-making, pulled for his admission to St. Petersburg's Imperial Academy of Fine Arts, which James began attending around age 11. That he excelled was no surprise to Anna, but it did prove wondrous to others. In Anna's diary, she mentions the British artist Sir William Allen, who visited St. Petersburg and met James, after which he said to Anna, quote, your little boy has uncommon genius. In 1848, St. Petersburg experienced a massive cholera outbreak, so George Whistler sent his family, including Anna and James, to England where they would wait out the infections, while George stayed behind. While in England, Anna arranged for continued art lessons for her son, but it wasn't the same. James would later say that he missed the color and opulence that St. Petersburg brought him. Unfortunately, his reappearance in Russia was then only for a brief time. His father arranged for the family's return after the cholera epidemic was thought to be passed, but alas, it wasn't. And George contracted the disease and then died on April 7, 1849. Without their breadwinner, the Whistler family's income dropped substantially, and Anna was forced to move the children back to the U.S. So distraught was Anna by the death of her husband that she committed herself, as some widows did at the time, to wearing mourning attire for the rest of her life. A stolid black dress accessorized with a white muslin bonnet. It is the same garb by which she would be identified years later when she was transformed into an iconic image of stately motherhood. So how did that iconic image of stately motherhood actually come about? Well, that is coming up next, right after this break. So come right back. Here's a puzzle. What would you do if your business had to hire great people fast? Now here's a hint. You need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Find great talent fast through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match assessments and virtual interviews. With Indeed Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed Data US. That's one of the things I love most about Indeed. It makes hiring so easy because of those sponsored job options. No other job site takes care of you like Indeed, because with Indeed, you only have to pay for an applicant if they truly meet your must-have requirements. So Indeed puts you in control of what you pay. 
You set your must-have requirements and only pay for the applications that meet them. There's a transparent flat fee per application and you can pause your job whenever you want. When you sponsor an Indeed post, you are 4.5 times more likely to get a hire, according to Indeed data worldwide. And Indeed is doing something that no other job site has done. Businesses only pay for those quality applications matching the sponsored job description. Visit indeed.com slash art to hire now. Just go to indeed.com slash art, indeed.com slash art. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Bombas's mission is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Bombas designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a cozy feel. And there's a pair of Bombas socks for everything you do. They come in tons of options like comfy performance styles that are made with sweat wicking yarns, which means that your feet stay cool while the rest of you works up a sweat. Bombas's no-show socks are designed for comfort while being specifically engineered to never fall down. So let your ankles be free to soak up the sunlight. And Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and the perfect weight so they hang just right. Bombas underwear is so breathable and fits so well that it feels like you're wearing nothing at all in a good way. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item that you buy. So far, Bombas customers like you have helped to donate over 5 million items of essential clothing. Go to bombas.com slash artcurious and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash artcurious for 20% off. Bombas.com slash artcurious. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Art Curious. The widowed Anna Whistler and her sons, James and William, settled first back in Connecticut before moving to Scarsdale, New York, trying to give her extended family the best that she could. And that included arranging for her eldest biological son to follow in his father's footsteps as a cadet at the famed West Point Academy. But James wasn't all that interested in the life of a would-be soldier, so he dropped out, moving instead to London to study art. And it's a good thing he did, too, because back in the U.S., the Civil War was a Bruin, and once the Confederate States officially formed in 1861, Anna decided it was time to hightail it out, too. So she settled in London to live with James. As we've seen in previous episodes of the show, and as is the case of many white male artists throughout history, James McNeil had the help of a good woman to manage his household so that he could focus his time on work. In Whistler's case, for much of his life, and certainly during many of its most formative periods, like this time in London, that person was his mother, Anna Whistler. As author Sarah Walden notes in her book, Whistler and His Mother, Secrets of an American Masterpiece, An Unexpected Relationship, this was an arrangement that seemed to suit both parties rather well. 
with James working without interference and Anna nurturing his talent and also keeping a good eye on her son's potential excesses, caring for what she termed, quote, the everyday realities, so that James could soar, quote, upon the wings of ambition. She even entertained his artsy friends when they dropped by, people like fellow artists Dante Gabriel Rossetti, whom we mentioned this season in episode 94 about Lizzie Siddle. Walden writes that the visitors were often struck by their mutual devotion. Anna indulged her son, and he liked it, and he returned the favor by treating her with respect and also occasionally deference. But the role that probably no one had anticipated, not even Anna or James themselves, was that Anna Whistler would play Muse in her son's most well-known work of art. There are a number of things that are truly fascinating about Arrangement in Black and Gray Number 1, the painting that is known mostly to us today as Whistler's mother. The first is that there's actually not a whole lot of information or documentation about the work itself. In the final years of his life, when he sat down with his future biographers, the husband and wife team of Joseph Pennell and Elizabeth Robbins Pennell, to share what Sarah Walden calls, quote, a thousand delightful anecdotes, James McNeil Whistler shared almost nothing about the portrait of his mother, even though by that time it had gained enough acclaim and acceptance. But we're getting ahead of our story just a little bit. The point is, the story behind Whistler's mother is sometimes distorted or even forgotten because it is hard for us to see it as it is or as it was. Like the Mona Lisa, it gets mythologized and has become over-familiar, appearing in those Donald Duck cartoons and everywhere else since its inception in the late 19th century. Was Whistler's mother always going to be a portrait of Whistler's mother? You might be surprised. So come back in a moment. I love making sure that I'm eating well and I am getting the right nutrients for my body so that I can continue to feel my best and keep this show moving along and getting my favorite stories out to you. I've taken vitamins before with the hope of improving my health and I haven't necessarily gotten much out of them. And that's probably because vitamins aren't real food. But GEM is. GEM is the first real food, whole food multivitamin. GEM Daily Essentials come in these little bite-sized cubes and they provide a comprehensive blend of over 15 superfoods, botanicals, probiotics, vitamins, minerals, and more, all concentrated into one tasty bite made from 100% real food ingredients. Finally, vitamins are real food. The GEM Bite is your first true non-synthetic multivitamin alternative, featuring only plant ingredients and delivering over 15 vitamins, minerals, and herbs to focus on your energy, your mood, your beauty, and more. It's your daily nutrition in one delicious bite. GEM is not synthetic. It is real food that is fully absorbed by your body for maximum bioavailability and to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet. And it isn't a pill either, so it's perfect for anyone who may have difficulty or doesn't like to swallow pills. It is one little tasty bite that's a concentrated blend of items that are not often found in the average multivitamin. And did I mention my favorite part? GEM is delicious. I look forward to eating this every day. You can choose from an array of tasty flavors that fit your preferences. Unlike other vitamins, there are no mega doses or synthetic fillers. GEM provides just the right amount to fill in your nutrition gaps, nothing more and nothing less. You can now get 30% off your first order when you go to dailygem.co slash curious. 
That's dailygem.co slash curious to get 30% off your first order. dailygem.co slash curious. I try to do all of the things that I can to make me feel my very best and to give me the opportunity to work better, happier, and more efficiently. And for me, a lot of that comes down to enjoying my daily shot of Magic Mind. So what is Magic Mind, you ask? It is this little elixir that was designed to provide sustainable energy and focus, but all without the jitters and the crashes that you might end up getting after you've had too many cups of coffee. I drink one small shot of this little productivity drink that's all filled with brain-boosting ingredients, and it leaves me feeling clear-headed and ready to go. Magic Mind contains 12 functional ingredients, including matcha, which is one of my favorites, and it mixes it with nootropics that help me to focus, and then adaptogens that help me to ward off stress. Magic Mind was created by James Bashara, who is a Silicon Valley entrepreneur who has transformed this little shot into the Valley's must-have elixir. And I get the hype because I truly feel better when I start my day with Magic Mind. If you're a creator like me and you need that extra little productivity focus boost and an easier way to get into a flow state, then you should try Magic Mind because you've got nothing to lose. With their money-back guarantee, any first purchase will be refunded, no questions asked, if they don't meet your expectations. You got no crash, no jitters, just that in-the-zone feeling. So try it today. I have a 20% off coupon to share with you, which is Art Curious, one word. To use it, you can go to magicmind.co slash artcurious and enter the code artcurious at checkout. Now, if you get the subscription to Magic Mind, then this is an even better deal because you'll get 40% off with this code. My 40% off code only lasts for 10 days. So hurry up and go to magicmind.co slash artcurious and enter the code artcurious at checkout. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Right now, burnout is a really big thing. I feel like a lot of people I know are suffering from it. And for me, burnout manifests itself in days where all I want to do is just lie in bed and watch Netflix for hours. Does that ever happen to you? Please say yes. Life can be overwhelming, and many people are burned out without even knowing it. Symptoms can include lack of motivation, irritability, fatigue, and more. We normally associate burnout with work, but that is not the only cause. Any of our roles in life can lead us to feeling burnt out. BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you to prioritize yourself, and talking with someone can help you figure out what's causing stress in your life. I've used BetterHelp to connect with a therapist in less than 24 hours, and it was so nice to be able to begin talking via phone or chat right away. There was no waiting, no traveling, no sitting awkwardly in an office. And just knowing that my counselor was there for me in whatever way I was comfortable with reaching out, it was truly a priceless experience. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month of BetterHelp at betterhelp.com artcurious. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com artcurious. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to Art Curious. How Anna Whistler ended up modeling for her son is a point of debate and one that hasn't been 100% proven in any case. The traditional story has crystallized, for better or for worse, in Elizabeth Mumford's 1939 biography, Whistler's Mother, The Life of Anna McNeil Whistler, which states that the painting was really the product of a twist of fate. James Whistler had hired a model, a 15-year-old girl named Maggie, for a stint of several hours, asking her to stand and pose as he made preparatory sketch after preparatory sketch. Maggie, as the story goes, apparently grew tired of just standing there, and after complaining to the artist without effect and relief, she stormed off, leaving Whistler in a modelless lurch. So, he asked his mother to stand in temporarily so he could finish finalizing some details and figure positioning. But being in one's late 60s is truly not the same as being 15 years old, and as much as Anna surely wanted to help her son, she couldn't stand nearly as long as Maggie could. So, she asked if she could sit down instead. And James Whistler said yes. And he ended up liking the seated profile of his mother so much that he apparently threw away his previous sketches, determined to create an all-new work with his mother and only his mother as its subject. Elizabeth Mumford's biography of Anna notes that the portrait was created with much silence and focus between James and Anna, with only the occasional grumble from the artist if things weren't necessarily going his way. On occasion, when he was pleased with a day's work, he would jump up from the easel, run over, and exclaim, quote, Oh, mother, it is mastered. It is beautiful. Now, Mumford's writing style is very 1930s, so it seems a little sappy for modern-day readers like me, but it is entirely possible that this was the reaction, the real reaction between mother and son, and that the process of its creation was a quiet, calm one, and also that both of them in general were thrilled with the final appearance. And can I just interject for a moment to say, wow, Whistler got his mother's appearance right, because as you'll be able to see of photographs of Anna, which you can find on my website, artcuriouspodcast.com, she truly looks exactly like her painting. So it all worked out as well, if not better, than both of them could have ever hoped. Anna would write happily, quote, Jemmy, that was her pet nickname for him, Jemmy had no nervous fears in painting his mother's portrait, for it was to please himself and not to be paid for in other coin. That Whistler made the work to, quote, please himself and not to be paid for in other coin is an interesting statement, and I am unable to garner from Elizabeth Mumford's biography as to whether or not this was written simultaneously as the work's completion or that Anna Whistler wrote this as an afterthought. I mention this because we know that Whistler did try to sell the work. Like many Western artists during this period, being seen in one of the two greatest European art establishments, either the Paris Salon or the British Royal Academy, was truly seen as the ticket to the brass ring. It was the place for your work to be seen, and thus to grab all the attention of wealthy patrons. But when Whistler submitted this piece for the Royal Academy's annual exhibition in 1872, 
It was accepted, but only barely, and he knew it. The Academy considered it kind of like a failed experiment, because British painting at this time was far more luxurious and grandiose. So think something brighter and richer, like those of the Pre-Raphaelites, works that are hugely decorative and luscious and even a tad sentimental. But there is none of that going on in arrangement. In both his mother's appearance and in the style of the painting, Whistler's work here is austere, even severe. It is an example of Whistler's signature style, a style known as tonalism. Simplified, tonalism was Whistler's way of seeking what he thought of as the perfect harmony of an artistic composition. He used a minimal and sometimes even monochromatic color palette, and so the strict balancing of objects in the space. So think about how Anna is counterbalanced with the drape of the black curtain on the left side and the framed artwork in its very stark white mat above her knees. The color balance and the object balance, all of that, more than the subject itself, was what Whistler truly found most important in his artwork. But to the Royal Academy and to many of its viewers, Whistler's painting was just a portrait, they thought. And though some at the Academy did gravitate to it as a kind of gentle ode to familial love, others just didn't get it. And from the start, Whistler had quite a bit of an uphill battle to have it accepted and acknowledged. But eventually, his struggles paid off. Whistler showcased his mother's portrait, his tonal experiment, in several exhibitions, and he even consented to its reproduction via print so that it became a familiar and widely recognized work of art. Still, the painting itself, Arrangement in Black and Gray Number 1, remained unsold for 20 years. And to make just a tiny bit of money, the ever-broke Whistler eventually pawned the painting. But in 1891, the French government, in a forward-thinking moment of inspiration, purchased the work for 4,000 francs, which some have estimated to mean the equivalent of about $20,000 today in the U.S. Now, that is not chump change. But even more interestingly, Whistler's mother became the first of the artist's works to land in a public collection. And it also provided Whistler the honors of becoming the first American artist ever to have a work in France's national collection. Anna McNeil Whistler didn't live long enough to learn that her portrait would be purchased by a foreign nation, that this work would single-handedly become synonymous with her son and her last name that it would inspire a new generation of artists to work in minimalist tones and quietly balanced compositions. A couple of years after her portrait was completed, Anna's health began to decline, not only because she was aging, but also because she worried constantly about her son's finances. And then over the next decade, she struggled with severe illness, moving finally to Hastings in the south of England, Coincidentally, the same location suggested by Lizzie Siddle's family and friends as a salubrious place for those with health issues. And it was there in Hastings that Anna Whistler died on January 31, 1881, at the age of 76. Though James Whistler, who, by the way, officially added the McNeil to his name to honor his mother after her 1881 death, though he never became wealthy by any means, the belated acceptance of arrangement in black and gray number one meant that he did gain more credence, and thus, more patrons. And more than that, he felt that his style and manner of creating finally received the attention that he felt it deserved. 
1894, he wrote to a friend, commenting on his good luck. He talked about seeing his painting on display at the Musée du Luxembourg in Paris, noting, quote, Just think, to go and look at one's own picture hanging on the walls of the Luxembourg? Remember how badly it had been treated in England, to be met everywhere now with deference and respect, and to know that all this is a tremendous slap in the face of the Academy and to the rest. Really, it's like a dream. It was a dream that Whistler had. And it was a dream that his mother, the woman who gave him life, also gave to him too. Thank you for listening to the Art Curious Podcast. This episode was written, produced, and narrated by me, Jennifer Dassel. Huge thanks again to Mary Beth Soya for her awesome research for this episode and nearly every episode this season. Our theme music is by Alex Davis at alexdavismusic.com. And our logo is by Dave Rainey at daverainydesign.com. Our podcast is co-produced by Kabunki. Podcasts, creative video, and more. Subscribe to their show, Subgenre, a podcast about the movies, Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at subgenrepodcast.com. Kabunki, leave your mark. The Art Curious Podcast is sponsored primarily by Anchorlight. Anchorlight is a creative space founded with the intent of fostering artists, designers, and craftspeople at varying stages of their development. Home to artist studios, residency opportunities, and exhibition space, Anchorlight encourages mentorship and the cross-pollination of skills among creatives in the triangle. Please visit anchorlightraleigh.com. The Art Curious Podcast is also fiscally sponsored by VAE Raleigh, a 501c3 nonprofit creativity incubator, which means you can donate to Art Curious to show your support tax-free. To find those links and for more details about every episode of our show and more, please visit our website, artcuriouspodcast.com. Check back with us soon as we explore the lives and works of incredible women who supported the unexpected, slightly odd, and strangely wonderful in the world of art history.